1: You wanted to get that in live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York's Times Square. This is Fast Money, and I am David Faber, from for Melissa Lee this evening, our traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, another bruising for Boeing. The shares are down this after regulators called for a redesign of its 737 jets, the engines. Uh, will the company overcome the latest hit? Plus, Qualcomm CEO... He's got big plans for 5G. We're going to wrap up the Chip Giants Analyst Day, find out what is next for that stock. And check out this mystery chart. Hmm, yeah, shares dropping as much as 6% today. (laughs) What made this company take a turn for the worse? The traders are here to break down the outlook for this name and a lot of others. We're going to start, though, with retailers. That was the story, certainly this morning when we were on Squawk on the Street at the beginning of the trading day. The ETF that tracks the space falling nearly 2% was his worst day in more than a month as retail earnings kick into high gear. So tonight we bring you the good, the bad and the ugly oh, yeah. in today's... Ooh, oh, wow. Yeah. Got sound effects and everything here. Retail wreck. Let's start with the good. All right. TJ Maxx did manage to buck the broader trend. It closed the day in the green. This after it had a beat on both the top and the bottom line. But then there was the bad, that's Home Depot. It did get hammered, this after missing revenue expectations that also cut its 2019 sales forecast. But the ugly, that is reserved for Kohl's. The shares (laughs) down 19%. It posted its worst day in more than two years. We should also note, we just got results from Urban Outfitters. You can see it there, that stock clicking down as much as 14% in the after hours. This after reporting a miss on the top and bottom lines. So, of course, the question today is retail pain company specific or is it telling us something about the consumer as we head into the Christmas season?
2: Guy. David, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. If we make it to January, and I say if because in TV, as you know, anything could happen. Yes. But if we make it, it's 13 years. In those 13 years. This Here is your maiden uh, nice voyage. Yes. Maiden voyage it on Fast Money. It is. They never asked the me. What no, no, can no, I, I say? It's in, a, it's I wanted incredible. it so <laughs> Because you're, you're the Mount Rushmore of CNBC. I mean, you're the Clint Eastwood of the good. Of course, Joe Kernan would be the ugly, the Eli Wallen. <laughs> I hope he's watching right now. I don't think <laughs> it says anything about the consumer, David. I think it's company specific. I mean, on the other side of that coin, you look at a Nike that's been on fire. Lululemon continues to go higher. You mentioned TJX. That made an all-time high, 21 times forward earnings. I don't think that's ridiculously expensive. Home Depot, they blame strategic initiatives, but you know what? Comps missed. Revenue missed. That stock looks like it wants to trade back down to the August low, which is 200. So although I would love to say it's an indictment of the consumer, I don't think it is. Well,
3: And, and if you think about Home Depot, first of all, this is a company that's trading at 22 times next year, and, and it had rallied significantly into this print. Um, their comps, actually, I don't think were as bad as people want to make them out to be. You know, Ultimately, they finished October somewhere around a 5% comp. They were expected to come in for the entire quarter at 4.6. And, and this was far from a disaster. So I think you get to a place where, uh, think about things driving uh, home improvement, think about refis and HELOCs, and everyone, all this data we're getting coming out of a low interest rate environment. I, I, the, the same wind is at the back of Home Depot. You just have to question how much you want to pay well, for that Well, I'll weekend.
4: just say this. If you're looking at the forward estimates, if I'm looking at Q4 for fiscal 2020, that's the current quarter at Home Depot, I see a down year-over-year earnings and sales print, that's the first time I've seen that in Home Depot in in, in years, maybe five years. So, you know, maybe the guidance was a little bit sandbagged. Maybe, um, you know, analysts have kind of moved those estimates kind of low. But if they were to actually print their first down EPS and sales quarter year over year, that would be a seminal moment for retail, especially in this leg, especially when you consider how much heavy lifting these big cap, um, large cap, uh, you know, big box guys have done. When we think about it, it, what it it's it. Walmart, it's Target, yeah. it's Costco, and it's Home Depot. Kind of like my mega complex in tech. Problems, problem purpose. You might want to yeah. tell David what your mega complex is. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, David, if you're going to be around. Not here, it's yeah, not what you think. That's not what you know, think. The Microsoft, the Apple, the Google, and the Amazon. Oh, we call. Oh, I, it, I think you your got, partner on Squawk of the Street has a Fang thing or something. He's got like a, that. Yeah, he's got. Yeah, we got, got MAGA here, and
1: he has watch also, which you just mentioned as well, which is
4: Walmart, Amazon. Oh, oh, you didn't know that oh, one, yeah? yeah, oh, yeah. Hard <laughs> yeah. The party, uh, yeah.
1: We do that one. You don't watch it? Sure. No, but, but, but in a
4: lot of ways, no, I do, of yeah. course. But mm-hmm. I, I think it's really important when we think about retail is that we know that these mega cap, big box guys are doing most of the heavy lifting, just like MAGA and Tech.
5: But I, I think also there are some winners. I mean, you talk about Nike; that's a, that's obviously a very big player. But we had you know names like Ralph Lauren doing well. To me, I, the Coles was really the most interesting. I mean, it, Home Depot was priced for perfection or near perfection, and and. So it was only you know, it's off five percent and you sort of re rate the multiple a little bit as well as the earnings being a little light. Kohl's was priced for mediocrity mm-hmm. and missed by a fair margin and it was hard to really get excited about some of the things that they say they're excited about and now it trades at under ten times earnings. I mean, but and it doesn't see it's cheap, but it really should be cheap. uh, And and it seems to be a bit of a
1: credibility problem there. I mean, listening to the call this morning as well, they talk about the promotional environment, pricing, particularly in women's and what it means going trying to establish some momentum. They did have an up quarter, at least, I mean. A tiny, Fractionally. Right, a
5: fraction. Uh, and, but not enough. I don't after, know what the Amazon arrangement will do for them, actually. It doesn't seem it to doesn't, be doing that much I, right I, now. I know in it's terms early of traffic
1: in, yeah.
5: I, I, You know, they talk about they are getting traffic, but, and it's a different customer than, normal would be, normal, uh, that, than their demographic, so that's probably a good thing, but it didn't, I didn't get the sense it was adding to the bottom line.
3: Well, you know, David, you asked, or the the question posed is, is there something wrong with the consumer if you look at a Kohl's and if you look at a Walmart? And and the answer is absolutely not. I mean, think about, we had some housing numbers this morning uh, reinforcing. We all know where the job market is. We know where wages are in a three to four percent growth. So uh, with Kohl's, I think you get back to a case where, again, the big box stores, that's a ridiculously competitive environment. We're overstored. I mean, Walmart is finally going back to beating everybody on price. There's no margins here. The only place that they're getting growth is in terms of their grocery business. And, you know, that's not a way to get get excited. So Coles was the loser of this bunch at one point till it, it, it started to outperform. Uh, and I think you're going back to relative performance and relative value, where I think Coles stays behind those two.
2: Certain point, though, valuations do matter. And I don't Listen, one thing I say all the time, I don't know, David, if you agree with this, but never underestimate the U.S. consumers want to spend. It doesn't mean they should be spending. So I don't want to confuse health with their want to spend. I think they're two entirely different things. I mean, I think the consumers is as strapped as they've been in the last 10 years. I think consumer debt to GDP is probably north of 50%. That's unhealthy. And if you ever get a downturn in the market, they will stop spending on a dime like we saw last October, November, when the market went down 20%. But in the absence of that... Valuations matter, and we've talked about Costco for a while. Carter Braxton Worth, you might be familiar with his work. He's on the Parthenon of the charting business. You might be. you know, uh, anyway. might be very
3: confused when you hear yeah. about the Parthenon. But at any rate,
2: back yeah. in April, he talked about Costco and the move higher, and that's exactly what's happened. But into earnings in December, Costco now at 32 times forward numbers. I mean, that's getting way ahead of its skis, I think.
4: Yeah, but let's separate, like, you know, what the consumer might or might not do in this holiday season and what the stocks are doing. And, and, and again, you know, last night, Gary Cohn, the former uh, national economic advisor to Trump, he was asked the question on this program, will Trump? blink if we don't have any progress on this trade deal on these consumer tariffs on december fifteenth and i think that's really important And, and let me tell you something you mentioned discounting okay we might have an inventory issue if we saw a bunch of retailers pull forward a lot of product for the Christmas season. And then if we get to this December 15th deadline and we don't have any resolution on this, and these tariffs are going in, these stocks are going down. It's that simple. Yeah. And I'll just tell you look at the XRT. You mentioned it was down 2% in the open yep. today. It's up 20% from a 52 week low made in August. When did that low happen? It happened after Trump mentioned the, the, the potential for these consumer tariffs. So the XRT will be going lower if well, these tariffs come back. The,
3: and so I would, I would agree with that. In fact, the XRT, if you look at, you know, relative to the S&P, it's underperformed by almost you know 20% over the last couple of years, 15% since those lows in August of 2018. So, uh, you know, how you're measuring the consumer in retail though, I'm not sure it's through the XRT um, because, again, the XRT has not been the vehicle that I think has been gauging. Some of these things have been outperforming. And look at big cap tech and look at Amazon. You know, that's really Walmart, isn't it? Right.
1: Um, now, I noticed today, I mean, Macy's and Nordstrom, you know, your mall-based retailers in particular are the ones yeah. that they take it out on. I mean, neither one reported a number today. We're going to hear from, I think, Macy's soon. Uh, but they were down over 6% today because they're in the mall. You look at Kohl's, you wonder, and boom, they're down. Macy's, that's got to be Macy's, right near a new low, right?
5: Macy's is now over 10% yield, yeah. which is kind of extraordinary considering, I mean, 10% yield and their debt does not trade like it's in distress at all. So there's some...
4: Yeah, but did it. you guys see Terry Langer, the former CEO of Macy's, yeah, he was on, on yesterday, on yesterday on Melissa's yeah. show? And what did he say? When he left there, he was loaded up long Macy's. That hasn't worked out well. But what did he do? He bought Walmart, Tosco, uh, Costco, and Target. <laughs> right. He did say he was. He had enough Macy's. Yeah. He still that had is, enough. Sh- <laughs> yeah, that That's worked fair. out
1: well. Speaking of uh, Walmart, by the way, and sticking with retail, we did hear from one of the world's biggest retailers, in fact, today. Walmart CEO Doug McMillan said not everything is moving 100 percent online. Check out what he told the panel at today's CNBC Evolve event.
6: I'm really confident they want stores because we're seeing the evidence of that. But a few years ago, um, there were a lot of voices inside the company questioning everything. And so we didn't go into it saying our purpose in life is to prove that stores are part of the future. We didn't. We started with how do customers want to be served? And it turns out that the stores end up playing a really important role in that process, especially with fresh and perishable food and things you buy in big baskets all the time.
1: I've made the point, Karen, in, in the past that he had he had time to fix things at Walmart because he's got the family in there as the very large shareholder. He doesn't have to worry about anybody else coming in there and pressuring him. And they've done a lot there in terms of online, obviously, the jet acquisition and then moving from there and in the stores as well.
5: I was, I, I was skeptical of the jet acquisition when they did it and their whole push. And I, I mean, they were buying everything they bought it was a. Bonobos or right? Yeah, they were just whatever kinda, that means for them. I don't even know buying willy nilly, but he really has done an extraordinary job. He also had a lot of money. A lot of money to be able to do it. I, I mean, they're really competing head to head, and I mean, they seem to have great momentum. The stock's a little bit expensive. I own Target; it's uh, hopefully on the same trajectory, but just a little, a uh, little more. Uh, the best thing. Priced.
3: That, the best thing that ever happened to the stock, though, is is that they threw their hat in a big way into online, and and they had to. But but you know, you, they're almost getting. Uh, some bit of an Amazon multiple, they're not even close. But I'm saying, you know, to get the benefit of, hey, we're in a growth part of our business, and relative to our core business, this is showing 30% growth. That's something that the stock has been rewarded on. But, but I would repeat that Walmart's growth in groceries, um, wh- which is a losing business for them, is it's getting people into the stores, and that's great. But in terms of comps, you know, it's not really pushing them over the edge.
2: Real quick, though, 6% earnings growth in Walmart with a 23 forward. It doesn't make sense. Now, you can say that for the last $20 in the stock, and you've obviously been wrong. At a certain point, it matters. Target tomorrow might be the tell Wait, on the I, consumer. I, I,
4: listen, I don't know how you're going to have this conversation and not mention the fact that Amazon is down 13% from its 52-week highs made uh, over the summer. When you think of the rest of the MAGA complex all trading at new all-time highs just this week alone, I just think that's pretty interesting. For what? No, I
3: mean, for the rest of retail, because
4: because because Amazon was that darling, they were the ones forcing the change over at Walmart, over at Target. And to your point before, as AWS becomes a smaller percentage of their sales, they're relying on just what they can do, how they can flex in retail. And we know that one day shipping has been a tax on this company. Well, they're spending a lot of money right They're
1: in an investment cycle again, which investors sort of.
4: Yeah, well, they're they're in the penalty box for now. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, The multiple divergent guy is interesting, though, in retail. I mean. Kohl's at 10 times, Costco at 32 times, Walmart at, what, you said, 23 times. Yeah, 23 times.
4: Right.
2: times. I mean, Target actually is the one that makes... But what you
1: supposed to do? The higher multiple stocks are the ones you want to seemingly own. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Until you don't. And you know how fast things... I mean, you could say this. Remember Under Armour? Everybody wanted to own it at a certain multiple. Then it stopped on a dime. I mean, when multiples matter is when you got to get out of the way because things go a lot further down than people give them credit for, in my opinion.
1: All right. We're going to hear more from, by the way, the Walmart CEO, Doug McMillan, tomorrow... On Squawk Box, no kidding. You know about that. learn I here? Think. Yeah, 7.30 a.m. Eastern. I know you'll be watching that. <laughs> I have always. Very treated. closely tuned yeah. to that, I'm sure. Coming up, more headwinds for Boeing. Federal regulators calling for big changes to the company's planes. Full details are ahead. And later, hanging up on AT&T, we're going to take you inside. One analyst call that did send that stock. You see, down 4% today. We are live from Times Square. It is in New York City. I'm told and there's a lot more fast money right ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. The hits just keep coming for Boeing. Federal regulators are now calling for a redesign of one of the company's most popular planes. Phil Boe in Los Angeles. We go to him for all things that move. Anything related <laughs> to anything that moves, Phil tells us what's yep. going on. Hi Phil.
6: Hey David, we are in the headline risk area for Boeing right now and anytime you see headlines saying the 737 needs to be redesigned, that's why you see a stock like Boeing sell off Fairly sharply after the headline came out today, here's what this is all about. The NTSB issued its final report involving an incident where there was an uncontrolled engine failure on a Southwest Airlines flight back in April of 2018. You may remember there was a passenger partially sucked out of a window who later died. When they came down and they and they landed safely, they then inspected the engine. And what they discovered, the NTSB over the investigation, is that these engines should be redesigned, the inlet of them should be redesigned, the goal to prevent uncontrolled engine failures in the future. Boeing issued a statement after the NTSB report saying Boeing is committed to working closely with the FAA, engine manufacturers, and industry stakeholders to implement enhancements that address the NTSB's safety recommendations. By the way, this is a recommendation. The NTSB is not a regulatory agency. It's not like they've got teeth that they can put behind these recommendations. But ultimately, the FAA will work with Boeing about 7,000 737 NGs, that's the variety of 737s that were built prior to the MAX. That's how many of these are impacted by these recommendations. Also, by the way, they expect to have uh, modifications put in place over time that will address these concerns as you take a look at GE which makes the engines as part of a joint venture with Saffron out of France as well as Southwest. There was also a recommendation in the report for Southwest. Not a whole lot of movement on those stocks, David, but the bottom line is this. These planes are not going to be brought down. They continue to fly. These will be recommendations that will likely be implemented over the course of, let's say, six months to a year, year and a half. Ultimately, these fixes will go in on these uh, engines to minimize that inlet there.
1: You know, Phil, uh, if it were not for the 737 Max, would we even be paying attention to a story like this?
6: Well, because it was an incident in which a passenger died, yes, it would get some attention. Do I think there would be a sell-off if it was not the 737? Absolutely not. When this stock went down earlier today, I immediately started calling people in Washington, as well as at Boeing, as at GE. It was very clear that this was, you hate to say, a standard NTSB report, but that's what it was. They looked at it and they said, these are the recommendations. These planes are going to continue flying. It's not like they're bringing these planes down. It's not that they're unsafe. But you, you, you hit on the point there, David. If it's not the 737, does it get as much attention? Probably not. All right, Phil,
1: thank
3: you. Phil
1: LeBeau joining us uh, this evening. Of course, in L.A., it's a little bit earlier. Let's, uh, let's talk Boeing. Let's trade Boeing. What are your thoughts on this?
3: Well, I, I tell you, I, I'm actually long Boeing, and I think, as we pointed out, I won't repeat the news, that I think this is uh, significant news for a company that's been in the crosshairs. But the most important thing for the company is what they announced a week ago, which is their timeline. And again, until you know whoever sings, um, it's, it's not back online. But early 2020 is what the market is now expecting from this company. Uh, and, and if you think about that dynamic, it allows them to get back to a production schedule, which could have them at 80 planes by the end of the year, which I think, leaving aside all the other noise, is what the stock is following.
2: Yeah, I still think there's too much headline risk, though. I mean, 375 was a level back in March. Stock went from 440 to 375, pretty much in a straight line. That's where we've traded up to, seemingly have failed again. I think it goes lower. I mean... They'll start grounding Boeing planes if there's not enough Johnny Walker Black in in the little you know the little car parts that they bring down the aisle because that's the type of microscope I think they're under right now. I think any agency that is been underserved
3: on an airplane. Mm-hmm. I don't is, drink I on planes, yeah. and you've just, flown with me before. I, I sit it there. and Sounds I, right. like yeah. you.
2: Uh, My to point agree, is though, there's too point. much headline risk. There are too many agencies that can, can say something negative. I think you avoid the stock here. I think it goes lower.
5: Let me just push back a little. It seems like the stock trades absorb. Forbes, bad news, better and better each time that we see bad news. I don't, I don't know that this would qualify as overly bad news, but it seems to have weathered a number of terrible This is one hearings, of the worst years of, yes, you
1: can imagine for, for a corporation, for, yes. period.
5: And, and it's still at 14 percent. Right. And the year. stock just seems to be somewhat impervious to well, bad news. It's
4: the benefit of a duopoly. Well, let's, let's think about yeah. this. So, yeah. like, as we get into the new year, there's probably two pieces of bad news that are going to happen, that, A, this schedule gets pushed out when these maxes get back up in the air, and, B, maybe they lose their CEO. You know, th- those are two things that I would think that could be well, on the that may not be seen as
3: a negative at this point.
4: Well, uh, I, I, unless that they just promote somebody internally who's also been there for 25 years or something like that. I, I mean, I, I guess that it's, you know, like, to David's point, yeah, the stock's up 14%. 346 people died in two crashes in the last 18 months on their planes. And, you know, there was a headline yesterday about the FAA chief thinking about taking a more holistic approach to approvals That rather than just letting the airline makers, um, you know, or or airplane makers do that. You know, I I just think that, you know, yes, the stock has been very resilient. Yes, I know a lot of people are thinking about the the loss of earnings this year. You get back up to a production level, of the max in 2020. You get all that back. You get the cash flow going again. And then it's a cheap stock in that regard. But I think that there's probably a couple headlines. Really quickly,
3: uh, there's a capacity issue for airlines to think about here. I think people are not really estimating that the, you know, the the capacity growth that you've seen in airlines over the years that people are so concerned about for this sector, this has really helped them. And I think you may have a bad line coming out next year.
1: All right. Well, you can read more about Boeing on our website. That's CNBC.com. we got a lot more ahead here on Fast Money as well. In fact, here is what's coming up next.
2: Time to take cover? Why one top Wall Street analyst says the record really could be coming to an end. And later... It's our call of the day. We'll tell you what sent shares of AT and T tumbling. Stick around. Fast Money's back right after this.
7: Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary workday until
3: the Singapore presentation is
2: at three a.m. The office was shocked.
7: That's when we sleep.
2: Maya made it less scary with Canva.
3: (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime.
2: Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at Canva.com. Designed for work.
1: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Welcome back to Fast Money. It was a mixed bag for the markets today. The Nasdaq set a new all-time high, but the S&P fell just short of a record of its own, and the Dow is down triple digits. Our next guest says the record run on Wall Street starting to run out of steam. Let's bring in Chris Harvey, head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. He was last on Fast Money in September, and he said then that equities were headed higher. And he was right. The S&P up 4% since that call. So, of course, the question is, Where do we go from here? Welcome back, Chris. Nice to
7: have you. Good to be back. Um, All right, why are we running out of steam? So we're running out of steam for a couple of reasons, right? We always talk about the wall of worry. Now what we see is the top of the wall of worry. But more importantly, it's the risk reward. You're playing for limited upside and a growing amount of downside. And our price target is 3088. We're about a percent away from that. And what we said is once we get there, okay, we're not saying we're out. But what we want to see is people become more optimistic, more bullish. We want to see the bears capitulate. And other than that, we've pretty much seen that in spades. Right? And so now what we're looking for is it, we're doing it piecemeal. Right? So in early September, we upgraded the banks. Now what we're saying is if you haven't gotten in the banks, you want to wait because we expect to see underperformance in the short term. We've been all over the semi-trade for a few months now. And now we're saying we're getting a little less enthusiastic at this point in time. And lastly, when we look at trade and tariff, Trump has a history of when the market's high, when things are good, for him to start pressing his bets a little bit. And I, I don't think that's priced into the market just yet.
3: That's the wall of worry?
1: Are those <laughs> the main ones or is there
7: something else you missed? Well, no, no, no. That, that pretty much covers everything at this point in time.
3: Chris, there's... there's- To me, also, this dynamic where the stealth easing that the Fed is from, there's $280 billion more on the balance sheet than there was uh, six weeks ago, maybe eight weeks ago. How much of that is a sugar high or how much of that stays with us? I mean, I, I don't think they can unwind that anytime soon. But that, to me, has been an equity bonanza.
7: Right. So there, there are a couple things that happened. You had the Fed cutting rates. You had the, the Fed flooding the market with liquidity. And what you had were bank earnings that were actually much better than expected. So I think you're right. It's going to be with us for some period of time, which is why the market continues to grind higher. But you can't bet longer term. When we look into 2020, 2021, 2022, what you should expect to see from the capital markets are much more pedestrian-like returns more like single-digit returns. But right here, right now, we're talking about melt-up. We're talking about the bears capitulating. There's a little bit more upside. um, But the risk-reward just doesn't look that attractive.
5: So talk about the risk-reward. If you think there is a China deal, let's say there is, is it already fully priced in? Would there be anything left for that?
7: We think most, if not all of it, is priced in at this point in time. So this is different than, than tax reform. With tax reform, once you got that, you could say, okay, EPS numbers are going to go X percent higher. Right. And then we can price that in here. What we're talking about is some ag being done as we go down the road too, we've been talking about IP and and we're talking about market access. The problem is the Chinese have a built in excuse. We're investigating big tech at this point in time. The Chinese excuse is, hey, you guys don't trust big tech. Why should we trust big tech? Why would we open those markets to you? So in the short term, yes, I do think we get something on the table. Much of it's priced in. But as we look longer term, it's going to be a lot more difficult to get. Uh, material uh, amount of of trade and tariff goods on the table. And what if we don't?
1: What if uh, December 15th comes, the tariffs actually go up and new ones go on, and there's no
7: deal? It's not a pretty story, which is why we're starting to say you want to start taking money off the table. You want to start being more conservatively positioned. You want to look for opportunities to de-risk the portfolio at this point. Where
4: are uh, union yields? Because obviously earlier in the year, when we saw the ten-year Treasury kind of going back to those multi-year lows at one four five or something like that, I think a lot of equity investors are, were trained to like in there. But but really, it was kind of a growth concern. So we had that bounce to one nine five. Here we are at one seven eight. If they start going back down there, what does that mean for equities?
7: What that means for equities is uh, what that means is it's more of a risk on environment right? So we should start to see equities be a, a bit more challenged. Multiples should start to be compressed. You should start to see more of your low vol trades start to work out. You should start to see your high growth work out. And you should start to see value roll over. But more, more importantly, you should see the market roll over. Chris, thanks. Thank you. Sorry for you joining us.
1: Guy, what do you make of the market right now in terms of where it stands to this China point, the China trade deal, I, I, you know, I find it a little surprising, perhaps, that we haven't given up more with, with some negative Shocking. headlines lately. Yesterday, Yunis Yun reporting that, you know, Chinese officials are sort of saying, eh, we may just stand back and see what happens. And yet we've gone higher.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked by it, because I thought if you had told me that news the night before, I said the S&P's had been down 35, 40 handles. And it wasn't. And then Gary Cohn on our show last night talks about the president will absolutely not flinch on December 15th which i happen to agree with i don't think we're any closer to a deal today than we were back in march but the market doesn't seem to care so i'm shocked that the vix has a 13 handle and the s&p's at an all time high quickly, though, the Russell is measured by the IWM. That topped out in August 2018 around 173. We've had a nice run, but we're nowhere near those levels. So the Russell's telling a much different story, in my opinion, than the broader market. This 160 level in the IWM, it's topped out a number of times. I think it turns lower. So I am, again, I think the... What there's a bull market in and a bubble in is absolutely in complacency, in my opinion.
4: Yeah, I'll just mention that, you know, I I am going to be the last bull to capitulate there, Harvey. (laughs) Um, No, but, you know, listen, you know, when we've had, he mentioned December 7th. Did you call yourself
5: a bull? <laughs> no, he'll be well, whatever. I, I, the upside of
4: it is, you know, at late seventeen, after we had that tax cut, we just saw the market explode, right? It just seemed like like everyone just threw caution to the wind. And what happened? We spent nine months after that, really milling around here and not being able to make any progress. And then they went back and they made a new high, and then we dropped twenty percent in late two thousand and eighteen. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think that these kind of complacent markets, guy just mentioned VIX at thirteen, people are not pricing in any risk to a non deal happening, sets up. When and you are at all-time highs for these sorts of corrections. And I think a lot of bullish strategists are starting to suggest that we might see that pullback maybe back towards 2800
1: in Q1. All right. Still ahead right, right. here, big biotech breakout, making this stock the best-performing initial public offering of the year. Mm. We'll tell you the name. That's right <laughs> ahead. Plus, at and down over 4% today on a downgrade. What has one analyst hanging up on the stock? Stick around. we got a lot more Fast Money. your way welcome back to fast money check out this move in Karuna therapeutics it was up more than 34% today that's not the big move though the stocks now up is that is that right 650% in the last week Sometimes, man, the moves in these things are incredible. Why? Well, successful trial results for a schizophrenia drug. corona went public back in late June. It is now, as you might expect, the best-performing IPO of the year. Guy, you flagged this stock.
2: Good yeah, for I'd you. love. To, well, no, no, I mean, good for. If I flagged it a week ago, that would have been good for me. But we <laughs> talked about it over the last couple of days. But I mean, just to put it in perspective. This is not a small company. I mean, the market cap now, I think, is north of a billion and a half dollars, maybe closing in on two. Yeah, they priced three now. They yeah. priced a secondary yesterday, a 2.1 million share secondary after the close of the stock called at 96. Typically, that would have been somewhat detrimental. Stock closed today up another $30. It's incredible. And I'm not going to tell you to run out and buy this because that's not what we're here for. But it points out that I think the still, there's still a lot of viability, There's still a lot of opportunity in biotech, and you look like a company like Amgen, which very quietly is making all-time highs, with still a very reasonable valuation. I think people have gotten scared at the space because of all the political rhetoric, but you see in a name like that and other names that are starting to get their mojo back, that this, this space is still very viable.
5: So let's say you owned it going into the last week, Karuna.
2: Oh, you yeah. got to take the money. As they said in the in, you got to take the money and run Steve Street, Miller, Ben? Take the money That's and a run. miserable song. But really
3: quick on big cap. I mean, uh, certainly big cap biotech. They are they are running out and buying it. And if you look at the IBB, which is effectively five big stocks, which include Biogen, Amgen, you know, Co. Gilead, which has been a massive underperformer for a long time, is up seventeen percent in the last thirty-five sessions. So uh, that, which has valuation, great balance sheets, and maybe some catalysts, people are taking a look at.
1: You did have that really important news from Biogen a couple of weeks back, right, Right. on the Alzheimer's drug when they revisited sort of the trial results there that certainly seemed to help. All right, let's uh, move from biotech to big technology. Qualcomm dropping about 3% today. The company held its analyst day, first one it's had in a number of years. Our own John Ford sat down exclusively with Qualcomm CEO Steve Mollenkoff. And John, man, he's making his way around town today.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's just a couple blocks away, actually. It's Time Center. So. Oh, you were the Time Center, oh, no, You weren't downtown, downtown we got today. got the all-star well, crew at the NASDAQ today. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, Steve Mollenkamp, who you know well, sat down with him talked about really 5g that's the story that they want to address these days getting away from regulatory issues getting away from the lawsuits the, the scuffle with apple uh, really they want to talk about 5g and i asked him what's the trajectory going to be like for that when are investors really going to start to feel the bulk of the benefits here's what he said
6: you really going to see it over the next two quarters for us, and actually through the next year. If you look at our last earnings call, we essentially gave, I think, a strong guide for our licensing business, which kind of sits as a proxy for really the Christmas season selling. And then we said, uh, kind of gave a soft indication of what we thought the the March quarter would be, which essentially said, you're going to see 5G start impacting our product business at that time, and it'll come in two phases during the calendar year
0: then after that, you're going to start to see things like the industrial Internet of Things, you're going to see flexible factories, but that's not coming for a couple years. Once uh, the, the cycle is worked out, they've got standards locked into place, new versions of 5G, you'll see factories getting 5G to be able to move equipment around. Qualcomm really tried later in the program to to nail down some numbers one interesting one has to do with how much of their revenue is coming from the phone side of the business and how much is coming from other platforms uh, like automotive like iot they actually broke out 3.4 billion dollars in other platforms 11.3 billion in the phones making the argument that this other part of the business other platforms is a real important growth area for them going forward so guys if, if you're looking at qualcomm As a stock, I think there are four things you got to question yourself about. Uh, What do you think happens with Huawei long term? Like right now, Huawei's not paying. They're also a competitor in 5G in a number of fronts. What happens with this FTC legal issue that's going to crop up again early 2020? Uh, Apple's got Intel's modem business. You have to imagine Mm -hmm. they want to build their own 5G. Uh, Qualcomm is arguing that. You know, they're going to do better than Apple, and Apple's going to have to buy from us uh, eventually. And then how fast can Qualcomm move into autos, and will the automotive industry adopt that technology? Because that's a big part of the business that they're arguing for here for growth.
1: The NXP deal was going to be a key part of that before it died.
0: Yeah, and NXP, I mean, you see they're moving on. Buyback. Uh, yep. Today, the stock has been up quite a bit this year. But now Qualcomm's saying, hey, we don't need them. Look at the size of our automotive business on our own. We're already at scale, $3.4 billion. They're going to be at the Consumer Electronics Show touting what they can do in auto on their own in January. We'll continue to see them telling that story.
5: Let me ask something. So the, as they diversify away from smartphones, is that a better margin business? I mean, it's a few businesses, IoT, and car, that's going to be a, a higher margin business
0: for them? They're not putting it that way. In fact, they're arguing that in 5G, because they've got more IP in the phone, they're actually doing better in phones uh, because of 5G, but they are saying that these other businesses are phone-like uh, in the technology that they're building into them. Now, of course, people aren't necessarily buying new cars every two, two and a half years the way they did with smartphones in their heyday, but they're arguing that, hey, when you look at autos, when you look at IoT, they're trying not to make too big a deal out of devices like Microsoft Surface Pro X, which has a Qualcomm chip in it, but they're saying, as we move further into cloud, our intelligence at the edge and the way we're able to work with the cloud is going to work to our advantage. We'll be able to sort of displace the PC stalwarts a little bit.
1: Um. Internet of Things, they keep talking about, it as a big opportunity. Uh, you know, it's interesting. The stock ended down today. Uh, I'm not sure what the expectations were going into the to stock, first Announced meeting in, what, three or four years.
4: stock was trading at nearly 19-year highs, you know, heading into this thing. When you think about it, you mentioned something about that NXPI deal, David. If you think of every other $100 billion market cap semiconductor stock on the planet, what did they engage in over the last five years? M&A, that's how they've diversified. When you think about how did Intel get into automotive, they bought Mobileye. How did they get into IoT, they bought Altera. So these guys have been messing around with um, shareholder activists. They've been messing around with a lot of regulatory issues with the FTC and all this sort of stuff. And you know what? Over the last five years, their sales have gone from $26 billion to about 19 and a half. And so next year is the first year they're supposed to actually show some growth over the last few years. That would be one reason why investors might get excited about it, but I think John laid out a whole host of 2020 issues that they might have with the stock again at 19-year highs.
3: Including the competitive landscape that, you know, how long will Huawei- Huawei truly be sidelined, and, and you know as they talk about their portfolio of having end-to-end components, I mean um, that seems to be what they want to talk about, right? That's their area of differentiation and competitive advantage.
0: They do, in a, in a way, th- their wireless story is like the story that Apple tries to tell in devices. They say, hey, look, from antenna all the way back to modem, right. we got technology, we got the chips. They put up a slide at Analyst Day today showing Intel's 4G modem and their 4G modem and how much smaller, more compact it is. Also, their 5G, Huawei's 5G, they're more compact. more efficient saying that's going to make a difference in cars for example you you can't afford even though it's big you can't afford to throw off heat in a car so we're going to win that deal is what they argue they're arguing that even in apple's own devices they're going to be able to win the chip business if their chip is better now if you believe that then maybe you go with qualcomm I've, i've talked about qualcomm as being like the tom brady uh, of these legal issues, I mean, just when you think he's down, he figures out a way to come back, and he's the one everybody loves to hate. That's how are we Qualcomm? weaving Inflategate into? This. In the, yeah, I mean, pe- people have argued that yeah. that Qualcomm is trying to tie chips to licenses, and they shouldn't. That's yeah. their, that's the the squishy footballs for Qualcomm. Some would
1: argue. Some would argue. China remains an important part of their business as well. <laughs> yes, uh, very, very important. important. John, thank you. Uh, up next, investors pulling the plug on AT&T today. You can see the stock uh, down over 4%. This is after one very influential analyst warned that the telecom giant stock has gone too far too fast. We're going to discuss that. Plus, Target stepping up to report earnings before the bell tomorrow. The options markets implying some interesting moves for that retailer, particularly after we heard from a bunch this morning. Don't go anywhere. we got a lot more fast money coming right at you after the break.
3: That's the sound. That every show happens all the time here. Every show. It's it's usually guy doing it. Okay. I can if you want.
1: Welcome back. By the way, it is time for the call of the day. Shares of AT&T down more than four percent. This was after a downgrade of Moffat Nathanson. Uh, Craig Moffat, the analyst in question here. It's actually funny. I didn't mention it this morning. I wish I had because I read the report. It was interesting, Tim. You know, he's looking at sixty percent of the business is DirecTV. It's the Warner Media assets. He's talking about the fact that they have put out their 1% growth rate overall and saying well 40% is a wireless, the wireless business yeah. can it grow fast enough to offset what he believes are going to be continued declines not just at direct but also at warner media uh, and he obviously doesn't think so, coming up with an 8% ne- growth rate needed at wireless to do so.
3: Yeah, and, and th- these guys move markets. I mean, they they you know certainly congrats on the impact of a report that challenged things that I think people knew are already out there. Um, but again, that's 60% of the business pointing out that you're going to have mid-single digits uh, decline in those businesses, and the numbers just don't add up. It means that the wireless, wireline business has to grow 10 times what it's going to, and those numbers just don't make sense. Look, um, by the way, if you're investing in 18 18- T for a div, you lost it today. I mean, so we always talk about on this show all the time. That's not why you should be investing. Um, I am long the stock. I do think that Elliott's role here um, is going to force change that will allow people potentially to realize the sum of the parts. Uh, I do think that their media business, their streaming business helps you get to a different multiple. But there's a lot to be proven here.
2: Stock went from 30 to 40, though. I mean, that's a huge move for a name like AT&T over the course of the last few months. So good for them for doing this. At least they're doing it at a level where maybe it makes sense for the downgrade. And to your earlier point, they move markets. I can understand why you would be somewhat skeptical of this name, but I think terms of balance sheet, they're not, we're nowhere near as poor as they were six to nine months ago. Zero so, rate environment is very good for a company yeah. like
4: yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's interesting though. we talk about this. We talk about what Disney's done, kind of vertically integrating here. Um, we obviously know Comcast has done the same thing. They've been buying content that has the distribution. You know, AT&T was rewarded this year for actually making that acquisition. The stock massively outperformed Verizon. And I think a lot of people have called into question Verizon's strategy over the last couple of years. Some of the acquisitions that they've made and just seemingly ripped down to nothing. So, you know, at and got that benefit. I know the Moffitt guys were all over this, you know, for, for this year, but I think it gets to a point, even in a zero rate environment, they have $190 billion in debt. They've taken on tons of debt, every major acquisition they've made. And sooner or later, when that wireless business is declining the way it is, then you have to start thinking out how do they manage that debt load?
1: Well, that's going to be a key question. If in fact, they really hit some rough road ahead in terms of expectations not coming in where? Or Numbers not coming in where I was expected, particularly for some of those, uh, for the entertainment assets. Obviously, we know Direct continues to bleed subscribers, although they did indicate to me last time that was going to be the bottom the last quarter in terms of subscriber losses. Up next, Target uh, hit its mark, or will it hit its mark, really, is the question. The company does report earnings before the bell tomorrow. Why the stock could see a big swing on those results. We are live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more fast money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money, a huge lineup coming your way on Mad Money tonight, including top execs, Salesforce, there's Benioff, Square, NVIDIA, and RH. That is the company formerly known as Restoration Hardware.
3: Oh, R-H.
1: Rh. Yeah, R.H. Jim it's just it's asked the R.H. CEO, it's a lot of letters now, about the big stake Berkshire Hathaway reveled <laughs> in. Or actually, they revealed it, but it said, <laughs> it said Revel Maybe they're revealed. reveling maybe in they it, too. They're, they're very I would excited. They're very excited back in with a- R-H. Yeah. Here's, here's what the uh, R.H. CEO had to say.
6: Like Berkshire Hathaway, um, uh, you know, we're building a business that's really capital efficient, generates significant cash flow. Uh, enjoys a low cost of capital and is generating industry leading returns. So um, uh, somehow we showed up on the radar and we're, we're just proud.
1: Stock was a bit under pressure today given that route in retail overall, but still at 51% this year. Karen, give me your take on the stock.
5: I, I mean, it's it's got a giant short interest, right? So that's sort of interesting to me that tends to push the stock up when good news happens as you have forced covering. I don't know. It's I don't know it in here. It seems expensive, but it's hard to, I, I would not be short it. You would a, lo- a lot of people are, though, for sure. And they are why? Just
1: what's the, what's the main
5: that It's too expensive. The product is too expensive. They're not going to continue to grow like this. Uh, they're spending a huge amount of money on stores, on, literally on the stores themselves. Or I mean, I don't know if you've ever been yeah, to I've one. I've been to that
1: one downtown that's got it's the incra- restaurant it's on it's top. Really nice. yeah, it's really nice. It's really
5: expensive.
3: Right. <laughs> Yeah.
1: So I mean, to
5: build and the product.
3: Right. So that's it's a great it. new name, though, RH. Genius.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, How did they come up with <laughs> that? Who would have thought? All right. Uh, Jim's got a lot of big interviews coming up at the top of the hour on Mad Money, as you said. Mark Benioff, of course, from Salesforce. You can see Square. Jensen Wan, that's a big one there from NVIDIA. Uh, and tomorrow morning, Target CEO Brian Cornell, he's going to be on Squawk Box. That'll be an exclusive, and it will be post-earnings uh, from the big retailer. Target will be looking to kickstart a turnaround, perhaps, after what was a retail wreck today. Options traders also betting the Target will at least, the very least, see a sizable move when it reports before the bell. Dan Nathan got up. He walked over to the plasma. He's going to break that down for us. Dan. He's good like that.
4: Yeah, there you go, David. The implied move in the options market for Target tomorrow, just tomorrow, is about 7%, and that's in either direction, and that is versus the 11% on average the stock has moved over the last four quarters. So today, options activity was fairly brisk. I think a lot of it had to do with the sentiment in retail. Um, Total options volume is about 2.5 times average daily volume, and I think it's really important to remember, you just said, will Target be the impetus to move things around? You know, Target is up 67% on the year here, and I think it's important to kind of go to the chart and look at how it got here. If you go back to August, look at this gap that it had when it reported its Q2 earnings better than expected comps, better than expected um, online sales. That stock broke out to new highs. And what I think is really interesting is for the last three months, the stock has held that gap really nicely. That is a very nice base there, but it's kind of up there in the middle of nowhere. And I think it's important to go back five years and let's just see. This stock had been basing in this level in the $80, $90 range and then you had that gap. I suspect that area is going to be a significant point of technical support for the time being. That being said, when you're looking at some of these stocks, you know, this one is up, um, you know, 67% of the year, trading about 18 times. Well, that doesn't seem expensive to Walmart at 24 or Costco at 35 times. It is expensive to Target's history here. So the slightest bit of downgrade to that outlook that they had just raised in August, I think this stock probably moves back towards about 100 here, filling in not the gap, but filling in at least a bit of that move that we've seen since late August. Um, and one last thing, David Faber. You yes. know that restaurant on the top of our eights? That's for Charles Prime Rib up there. That's that special burger that you know so well.
1: No, it's not. Yeah, it is. It's a big
4: restaurant. Yep. But it's, they, they, right. it's, it's, oh, it's in the family. Oh, it's the same family. chef. Yes, right, right, yes, right. there you all go. Right. Big he in. knows all the
1: action, including the options action. By the way, tune in to our live show this Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. All right, no time for final trades because Nathan had to go through his favorite ah. restaurants. That's all for Fast Money. This has Hi, been a David. pleasure. Mad Money with Jim Kramer. Thank you, David. Boom. You're welcome. Thank you, David.
6: It starts right.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.